That's a fun title there, judging. I think it's what you all wanted to come to church for. (laughs) Today we're judging you. Well, it's what Jesus talked about, so we're going to get into it. I'll just pray and then we'll read through some of the passage here. God, we thank you for today. We do just thank you for the chance to be together here. God, we thank you that you've given us this church family. God, I, I pray you'd really speak to us on this topic. It's, I don't know, half the Sermon on the Mount feels like, ooh, not another fun topic this week. But God, help us just engage our hearts with what you might want to speak to us. Help us be a family together that encourages one another and loves one another. And um, God, free us from judging. Convict us if we're doing this. Just speak to us through your word and redeem the time we have here together. In Jesus' name, amen. Okay. Okay, we have six verses today, which is good. It's kind of packed in there, though. So we'll read through this together. It says, Do not judge others, and you will not be judged, for you will be treated as you treat others. The standard you use in judging is the standard by which you will be judged. And why worry about a speck in your friend's eye when you have a log in your own? How can you think of saying to your friend, let me help you get rid of that speck in your eye, when you can't see past the log in your own eye? Hypocrite! First get rid of the log in your own eye, then you will see well enough to deal with the speck in your friend's eye. Don't waste what is holy on people who are unholy. Don't throw pearls to pigs. They will trample the pearls and then turn to attack you. I don't know what comes to your head when you read this passage, when you think about judging. I'm just going to have to admit, I'm not that spiritual sometimes. And so what came to my head is a video here. And it may or may not work because I didn't get things together in time to test it. But we're going to try this. One more. It might not work. Is there any buttons to hit there? Yes! I'm a little concerned right now about your salvation and stuff. How come you have not been baptized? Because I never got around to it, okay? Why you always have to be judging me? Because I only believe in science. But tonight, we are going out against Satan's game. And I just thought it would be a good idea if you. It might not really relate at all, but it's hilarious. I thought of that clip because I thought of, why do you always have to be judging me? I can feel that way. It's what comes to my head when I think about this passage. And yet I, I look at this, and you read through it, and you look at the first four words of this passage. And Jesus said, do not judge others. And if you want the cliff notes of the whole week, it's right there, four words. We could go home, I think. Don't judge. Go try it out. 
And yet we're conditioned to do this. It's what we do. We judge others. It's how we're conditioned to relate with the world. I listen to a song and I talk about it in terms of if I like it or not. It's too twangy. It's too loud. It's too sappy. Or jam. Did you hear that guitar riff? It's how I listen to it. If you turn on talk radio, they're paid to be opinionated. It's what they do. There's no neutral. They're all the way on one side or the other. The president's the best ever, or they hate him and he's the worst ever. Or you turn on the sports channel and that coach has no idea what he's doing, or he's the next Vince Lombardi. It's one way or the other. We're just, we judge, and we judge in these extremes. And even as we walk down the street and we see a restaurant, we can look at the restaurant and think, well, that one has too many hipsters, I don't want to go in it, or their food's too salty. Or that one, everything has bacon, I'm going. <laughs> That's how we judge things. Or we look, we look around our block and think, my neighbor painted their house what color? Can't we get an HOA? <laughs> it's what we do. And I think about social media, and it conditions us to judge and to think this way. We have a like button on every app. So we can go in and say, I like it, I like that. And we can cast judgments on every post that flows through the internet. So it's not just information, but it's something I can judge. But if you're like me, you see all those buttons, and the button you really want is not there. I don't know if you've all noticed that. Where's the dislike button? They don't give you one. The hate button? It's missing. I didn't get an image. But the loathe button. Like it's a Raiders post. I think I'd go in there and be like... I'd find that button. But I did some digging and found something out. I didn't want to really mention one company in particular, but they blew my mind a little bit that Twitter is helping us out. Now, it's hidden deep in the bowels of Twitter that you have to click this, like, more button on a post, and then you can click, I don't like this tweet. It sounds very formal and British. But for the pessimists of the world, we can dislike things. That might be an oxymoron. It's not. I dislike that tweet. So if you're on Twitter, there's what you can do for the week. I don't know if it like racks them up, though, the same as likes, but it's at least there. You feel a little vindicated. But joking about social media side, as a Christian, God gives us his Holy Spirit. There's a big jump, I know. But one of the things... The Bible says is that God gives us his spirit and his spirit convicts the world of sin. And so God gives us this barometer of sin in our life. And he says his spirit's taking us somewhere. It's meant to change us. It's meant to make us more like the image of Christ. And so God continually convicts me of sin and makes me a new man and changes me and takes me somewhere. And it's this never-ending journey. I'm going to keep this PG rated because we're not doing Sunday school. But if you drive up Federal or the wrong way on Colfax, you can get to the wrong side of town. 
you have to drive those ways to get to some things. But if you start driving down those streets, you start to see things. And you can drive down and you can see a place where you could go get drunk or a place you could look at things that you shouldn't look at or a place you can get high. And if you have God's Spirit, you should see those kind of places and think, "Mm, that's not for me. I shouldn't go in that store. And God gives us His Spirit in a way to have victory and to walk past those things and not live that way. And so God's Spirit's continually giving us input on how to ask, on how to act, excuse me. But where it goes south is when we start to see those things and we make inferences on all the people that go there. Can you believe the kind of people that walk in there? What are they thinking? Or we yell out the window at them, or we sit in our car and call them names. There's a derogatory name about somebody that walks into every one of those places we could probably use. We can even judge in the church. We can sit there. We can think, I could preach better than that pastor guy. I can sing better than that band. I'd do something different with coffee. What's that half an hour with before church? I'd run it all different. We're conditioned to just think that way as we walk in. And we judge the people that walk into the church. We're conditioned to think that way, to see people and and think about them. Does someone walk in and we think, do they have it all together? Does that person walk in just to ask for money today? Have they been here in the past month? Have they been here before? What are they wearing? It's how we are conditioned in our head. And I think when we look at a topic like this, we think, naturally I think this message is for somebody else. Or I get defensive and think, oh, I don't really want to deal with that. But I think we're really ruthless and efficient at passing judgment because it's as quick as hitting a button in our culture now. And so I just have three things that I think could help us grow in this area. So what can we do to not be the kind of person that's just judging and judging? I think one... It's on that slide there. It's just to understand that God will judge all the wrongs. And so we don't need to worry about it. And that's kind of one of those easier said than done moments. I put those first four words up there, do not judge others. But it's funny enough, I can read that verse and have fears. Is God really going to take care of that? Are people going to get away with things? Will they be punished severely enough? Will it be fair? Nobody knows how bad they wronged me. Someone steals from you and walks off. You just, you want them to pay for that now. Do we trust God in it? I think of a few things with this. One is just, There's nothing that escapes God in it. I have these fears of like, will everything really be taken care of or do I need to do my part and make sure God's judgment goes out? 
Hebrews 4.13 says, Nothing in all creation is hidden from God. Everything is naked and exposed before His eyes, and He is the one to whom we are accountable. And in this context, in some ways, I can look at that and be relieved and go, nothing's hidden. Nothing gets by him. There's no jury that's going to mishandle the verdict. They're not going to collect the evidence wrong and they have to throw it out of the case and they can't convict someone. Nothing is hidden from God. Nothing escapes his eye. We're all accountable before God. The psalmist, I think, struggled with a similar topic of just, I see wicked people, and it looks pretty good for them. And my life's really hard. I think Psalm 73, a lot of psalms are very genuine in how we look at the world and how we deal with things. I think this psalm is very genuine. Because I think we've all thought this way. It says, For I envied the proud when I saw them prosper despite their wickedness. They seem to live such painless lives. Their body are so healthy and strong. And then I went into your sanctuary, O God, and I finally understood the destiny of the wicked. Kind of a downer end, but he's understanding that even though they're living wickedly and they are rich, and had a very comfortable life, and it looked like God was blessing them in every phase of their life, even though they were wicked. That God would take care of it. Their destiny, he talks about, was an eternal judgment before God if they were wicked. That he would one day punish every sin. And even in that abundant blessings of the world, there was still some judgment waiting. And one more verse there, Exodus 34. Speaks of God. It says, Of God is one who keeps loving kindness for thousands, who forgives iniquity, transgressions, and sin, yet he will by no means leave the guilty unpunished, visiting the iniquities of fathers on the children and on the grandchildren to the third and fourth generations. So God will take care of every sin. It's a real downer so far. But there's something in that that we don't need to worry about it. Nothing's going to get missed. The jury's not going to get it wrong. And finally on that, if you're a Christian... Jesus has taken your place in that sin, and Jesus has bore that judgment. Isaiah 32.12 says, Yet he himself bore the sin of many and interceded for the transgressors. So we understand that our sin brought this punishment upon Jesus. But it did bring a punishment. Every sin will go unpunished. Or punished, excuse me. And so we don't need to worry about judging sins. Again, it's kind of one of those easier said than done moments. But just conceptually, we need to understand every sin 
Every wrong, every injustice is handled by God. And so if you're worried about it, you can pump your fist and say, yes, it'll be taken care of. He's got it. Everyone. But there's another side of this. As you're going down that path, I'm thinking, yes, God's taking care of every sin. There's another side of that I start to think about and I start to be convicted about. Which is, that's all well and good. God's going to take care of it all without that retribution. Oh, but I have sin. And when we stop and look at our life, we have a lot of wrongs, a lot of warts. And yet we read things like that, that God's not is going to punish every sin. And it causes me to just stop and take a more humble position before God. A few more verses from the passage here that started more than the four words that said, do not judge so that you will not be judged. For in the way you judge, you will be judged. By your standard and measure, it will be measured to you. There's no way to sugarcoat that. Jesus said we will be judged as we judge others. It's a little scary. Kind of reinforces that first point for me, thinking about how we judge. It's not just like, don't do it, don't steal the cookie from the cookie jar, don't touch the hot stove, but it's, if you do it, it will be measured back to you, coming from Jesus. And I think when we approach Jesus, we ask for and expect tons of grace in our life. God, I know I did that, but please don't carry out your judgment like you should. I pray that a lot. (laughs) But yet, we offer very little grace in return sometimes. I don't know if you've ever sped before. I have. I've been sitting like that before. But when I'm speeding, I feel very justified. I'm late for a meeting. We need to get to the hospital. It's very important. I got stuck in traffic. God have mercy. When I see someone else speeding, I always think, God, I hope there'll be a police officer. That guy's speeding. (laughs) I say that a lot. Where are the police officers? He went 90. Those disconnect. I see the exact same thing in someone else's life, and yet I want a different standard in my own. I saw that a little this week. My girls were playing on our trampoline outside, and I had this idea of getting all these toy balls from the store and threw them in the trampoline. And I thought, yeah, they jump and they bounce around and it'll be fun. Somehow it didn't connect in my head. What will really happen is that they will throw toy balls at each other. And so they were both out there, and one of them took one and threw it at the other one, and she started crying. And you know, and so we were working through it. And then all of a sudden, we were like working through, asking for forgiveness, and 
out from it. And then like something happened. She picked one up, and I saw this glimmer in her eye, and I could just see it before it happened. She realized, I can throw this right back. Whack! Now the other kid is laughing, and the other kid is crying, and we work back through it on the other side. I thought, it was the exact same thing, and it's funny to us on one side, and we want judgment on the other side. Dad, take care of it. She threw it at me. The only difference was who got the sting and who got the laugh. I think we can have bigger things in our life without realizing it. And we judge others without considering what's going on in our own life. Like if we have something on our face, we probably don't realize it, but we point it out on someone else's. So, it might look like that. So funny story about a kid covered in chocolate. Maybe it was fortuitous that I put this up there because I came out of the office, my daughter came running in the hall to give me a hug, and I didn't realize that she had had this chocolate donut and looked roughly like that with a shirt on. And so I've got, like, chocolate here. There's no way to undo that, but we had that morning. In Philippians, Paul said this to the church. He said, work hard to show the results of your salvation, obeying God with a deep reverence and fear. As we approach God, as we think about his judgment, there's this idea, God, I want to work hard. I myself want to be going towards something. I want to have a reverence and fear of the Lord. And I'm sharing this knowing there's grace. Jesus did die for something and he puts a power in our life. But in the same token, he said this to believers. Show the results of your salvation by having a changed life and working hard and having a reverence and fear for the Lord. So going on in the passage, Jesus said, How can you think of saying to your friend, Let me help you get rid of the speck in your eye when you can't see past the log in your own eye? Hypocrite! First get rid of the log in your own eye, then you will see well enough to deal with the speck in your friend's eye. Something like that, maybe. It's funny imagery, if you stop and think about it. But it's telling that we can have huge things in our life and not realize they're there and be nitpicking other people. And that's what this is all about. Or we can have a different measure. We want the retribution for someone else, and we want the grace for us. But I don't think we get that option to have different measures. God says it's going to be the same measure given to you as you give out to someone else. So in light of that, I think one response is to be repentant before God. Ask God, what is in my life that is a log sticking out and I don't see it? Or ask spiritually mature people in our life, is there anything I don't see? And take the log out of our eye. Are we willing to make changes in our life to do that?
And I think that's part of this. Before we get into worrying about anyone else, will we walk into that? I think another aspect just to think about is that God has steps of faith for us to walk into. Scripture says that God has prepared good works in advance for every Christian to walk into. And God is leading us towards good. He has a plan. He's leading us towards growth in his life. And there are authentic struggles we see in other people's lives. Like I said, we tend to be blind to what's in our own life. And I think the size of the the objects of wood are telling in the passage because we tend to minimize what's in our life and exaggerate what's in someone else's. We speak of the speck bigger than our log. In a disagreement, it's always 90% the other person's fault and just 10% mine. At least in my head. And so I just say that to understand that we're called to keep growing and obeying God. And as we deal with sin in our life, we're able to walk forward with Him. And we're in a position where we can actually offer help to someone else. Not just judge, but genuinely help people. And so that's the the last thing just to work on growing in, is really developing this heart to help other people. That's what this comes down to. There's Matthew 7, 5 again. We just talked about it. But a hypocrite, first get rid of the log in your own eye, then you will see well enough to deal with the speck in your friend's eye. So there is a place to help someone else. There is a place to help potentially point out sin. But first we need to deal with that sin. We need to remove the log so that we can clearly see. So if we understand our position before God, if we're humble before God, then we can see in a way to help. Paul in 1 Corinthians 15.10 said, But by the grace of God I am what I am. And His grace did not prove vain, but I labored more than all of them. Yet not I, but the grace of God with me. He understood that even in the position he was in in the church, it was God's grace that had worked and had given this position. And as he continued to work and act in God's grace, he could help. I thought of this passage in Romans 15 as well. It says, We who are strong must be considerate of those who are sensitive about these things. It was talking in terms a little bit of people who were... Um, just sensitive to how other people were acting things out in their life and being sensitive to their conscience in the chapter before that. But then it says, we must not just please ourselves. We should help others do what is right and build them up in the Lord. For even Christ did not leave, uh, live to please himself. So our life and how we respond to God and how we deal with other people, we should have this heart not to just please ourselves, but help other people. Even help other people as it relates to sin is the context of this passage. Eventually help them with the speck in their eye. But I think there's a way we need to relate to this. 
which is more like being a coach to someone, which is how we do this with strain from just judging. When I think of a coach, it's somebody that gives a lot of input to somebody else. But it's in the right way. The coach is involved. The coach is there every day. The coach is down in the trenches. The coach is in the sun the whole time the guys are running. The coach is helping. His success depends on how the players do. If the players don't go out and perform on the field, he probably will be fired in a year. So he's invested. His life is on the line as much as the man's life he's instructing. And that's how we want to approach people, is being like that coach in people's lives. But where this passage is talking about and where we tend to be is more like a spectator. And we just stand up in the crowd and yell, boo. The spectator is not invested. If the team loses this week, they don't have to go back next week. They don't have to go back for two years. They can let the team figure it out. And when they win enough games again, come back. It's generally what fans do. I think oftentimes with steps of faith and decisions that God's put in our life, it's not so much just understanding the truth and needing someone just to pound truth out at us that we need in our lives or other people need in our life. As much as a heart issue to keep pressing on and keep obeying God and the next thing. And so it's easy to judge people in terms of that's a small step. Can't they see that truth in their life? Can't they see the next thing they should do? Why didn't they change? But really it's about having a heart that's ready to just obey God in small things. And in light of that, many people really just need a cheerleader and a friend to say, keep following God. Obey Him in that next step. I think of one of these. I don't know if you've ever done one of these ropes course or trust courses. Has anyone ever done one of those? I remember doing one of those. I think we did it at like a high school event. But when you're standing on the ground and you look at that, it's not very far. And you can stand on the ground. You can be like, it's just three feet out. You can almost reach it if you lean. I don't know why you're standing there so long up there. And then you climb up and you get there and you can know all those things and you can see the bar and yet you just kind of stand there like a deer in the headlights and you've got to kind of reconcile, I know I'm safe, I know I'm on that rope, I know it'll catch me, I'm not going to fall to my death, I know it's not that far. If that was on the ground, I would have done it 10 minutes ago. (laughs) And you jump for it. But what we want to be is more like people that are yelling up there, you can do it. You can get that bar. I know you're afraid. I know it's 30 feet down. You can get that bar. It's the next thing in your life. And we want to be more like people that are cheering for each of us to go jump for that next bar in our life. And the people are judging Hey, you climbed up there and you went back down because you didn't want to jump. Did you see Brad? He didn't jump for it. 
We want to be the people that cheer. I have another video. May or may not have something to do with anything. But what would it look like to just be cheered on in your everyday life? And this is what came to mind with me if technology agrees with me today. Say it with me. Say it with me. Here we go. Let's go, insurance and justice. Let's go. Grill. Let's go, insurance and justice. Let's $80. Go. Cut that meat. Sandwich. Cut that meat. $6. Cut that meat. Gas. And it's full. $20. You're my favorite accountant. Tommy, please. Johnny, please. You're my fantasy team. You're my favorite worker. Fans. Yes. Woo. Priceless. There are some things money can't buy. For everything else, there's MasterCard. Never gonna wash his hand. Right here, look at that. Awesome. Cut that meat is like a part of culture. At least in places he's played. It's funny, but we need a cheerleader running around telling us to take that next step. And having a heart to help each other and cheer each other on creates that kind of culture. So again, when someone walks in the door, what's the first thing we do? Are we quick to place some kind of judgment? Are we quick to befriend them and offer help and just try to recognize what's the next thing I can cheer them on to? Can I offer prayer? Can I offer support? Can I offer counseling? Can I just be there? Even sharing truth, is there a verse they need in love? Can all come together? But are we going to be the coach? instead of just the spectator. And then there's this verse at the end of the chapter I almost didn't even talk about, but then it's sitting there and you kind of have to deal with it. It says, Don't waste what is holy on people who are unholy. Don't throw your pearls before pigs. They will trample the pearls and turn and attack you. It's kind of out there. But he's saying don't take all the truths of the gospel and just throw it down on the ground and, and hopes the pigs figures it out. You know, I was in high school. I wasn't walking with Christ and I went to a church once in a while and would go in there. And they would talk about things in church like how we shouldn't be drinking and how we shouldn't be partying and a whole bunch of how we should relate to the other gender. And it was just nonsense to me at the time. I was like, oh, pastor guy. I'm not going there. And there was a time when God started to work in those areas. But the issue was I just wasn't anywhere to even understand and process and obey that. I just needed like, have a relationship with God in my life, and that was later. So I took those good truths and what the good-hearted pastor was saying and just threw it on the ground and trampled on it because I wasn't there. And when I think about how we relate with other people and, and how this factors into developing that heart to help, really it comes down to what we tend to do is just throw out a whole bunch of commands and hope they stick. You meet someone, you're like, oh, it's good you came. Well, now that you're here, here's all the things you can change. The tithe box is there, and start coming every week, and do this, and stop going to the bars, and 
you can list off 50 things and I needed to grow in 50 things I still need to grow in 50 things but it's just those pearls before the pigs and especially if someone doesn't have a relationship with Christ giving rules and cleaning up and looking kind of like a Christian is not what they need really the one step in their life is to consider faith in Jesus Christ or maybe it's just pray to see if he's real or open a Bible and see if God's speaking to you in it or try to go to church but it's not a whole list of looking Christian and everything Jesus ever said all at once Romans 1.18 says for the word of the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing without God's spirit really working on our lives to drive something home is just foolishness especially if we don't have God's spirit in us before we're saved and so I say that just to say with anyone focus on that next faith step the next bar in their life if it's just something small like going to church or reading your bible or praying focus on that one thing and then this just goes back to having that humble position before God but be authentic with your own struggles before people instead of just blasting truth which again what we tend to do I'm wired that way share how God is working through issues and people will be more helped in their tribulations seeing how you're responding to God how you're taking authentic faith steps what that last bar was in your life I tend to struggle with this like I said I just think in terms of what's the verse what do you share what do, and that's usually not what people need I also just think of avoiding terms like oh I used to be like that I once was a sinner before I came to church I need God to help me to get those bars this week just to believe God like John talked about last week to believe God that we can put his kingdom first and he'll take care of the rest a real verse I'm trying to pray through this week even Paul talked a lot about that like I mentioned but he said again I, I am what I am by the grace of God he was quick to call himself the greatest persecutor of the church before he came to know God he called himself the least of the apostles because he understood something that it was only God's grace that separated himself from someone else and it's by God's grace we're going to go for that next bar we're going to keep running the race and we need to do it together and we need to be cheering one another on and we need to be all trying to go for that next bar together and in a family the gossip and cutting each other down it's not going to help us get where God wants us to go we need to be cheering one another on let's pray God we thank you for today I do thank you for your word I just pray you'd help us God help us really love one another God, you told us to lay down our lives for our friends. 
you did it for us and you call us to do it for one another. I pray you'd help us really be cheerleaders for one another. Push one another on towards love and good deeds. Encourage one another, love one another. Even share truth and love. I pray you'd free us from being a people that just nitpick one another. Think about what someone else is doing wrong. Help us grow in that. Help me grow in this. Help us be humble before you and just grow together as a family in your church. In Jesus' name, amen.